0: We could spend hours, if not days and weeks, talking about the amazing nature of Scripture. What makes the Bible so unique, so mind-blowing, so wonderful, and so different than anything else that's ever been written or ever been created. But one of those places that I want to highlight today is how God, and His incredible sovereignty often uses not only the words inside of Scripture, but the format of Scripture, the the structure of the words themselves to help teach us something deeper and help us to relate to something in a more intimate fashion. So some of the places where this happens would be books like the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is a book wherein the people of God are crying out to God. They're in a place of desperation because they've gotten themselves in a hopeless spot because of their sin. And as they're crying out to God, these words that are inside of Scripture for us to read and consume, inspired by the Word of God, are formatted like a funeral dirge, like a funeral song. It's a song of death and destruction used to help us understand the despair of the people of Israel. The book of Hosea that tells the story of a prophet who married a prostitute to give an example to the people of Israel, how they were treating God, running around on him, being with other gods, looking to other places besides him. This really desperate book is written in parts and formatted like a official divorce document. And it's written in a way to where the people would not only see the desperation in the life of Hosea, but even in the structure of the book itself, they would realize how serious what they're doing is to God. Even the Ten Commandments, something that most people are very familiar with inside of Scripture, are not just ten random lists of rules, but they are written and structured in a way that reflects these ancient treaties that would be made between two parties. One kingdom that came in and conquered another one would give these treaties that would define the relationship between the two nations going forward. And so the people would recognize when they looked at and saw the Ten Commandments that these aren't simply rules, but this is God saying, I conquered you out of Egypt. I came in and looked face to face with the greatest king in the entire world and I won the victory for you. And now because of that, you're my people and I'm gonna set the standards for how this relationship works. And so in all these instances, God not only uses the content, but the construction of the words to help us understand what he's trying to teach us. And in Genesis 1, we see maybe the most amazing example of that in all of Scripture, where we see God as author and storyteller more than some just distant inspiration for what the people were writing. We see God use not just what the words are saying to teach us about his nature and the creation of the heavens and the earth, but the structure of Genesis 1 itself reveals to us this amazing God. If we just look at it, Genesis 1 is very uniquely organized. And we'll talk about some of the structure and the order as we go on later in this sermon, but I just wanted to point out some of the really amazing things. In Genesis chapter 1, God uses repetition to help us see that he is a God of order. Things are repeated over and over again, and there are parallels all throughout this chapter. And so just the word God alone is repeated 35 times in the book of Genesis. The phrase, it was so, is repeated seven times. The phrase, and God saw, is repeated seven times. The phrase, according to their kinds, is repeated ten times. And the phrase, and God said, is repeated ten times. The Hebrew word bara, or to create, is used three times in the bulk of the passage and then used again three times in rapid succession in verse cha- Verse 27. All of these things, all this repetition is based around Numbers 3, 7, and 10, showing this incredible precision and preciseness that God uses throughout the entire chapter. But not only is this a chapter of incredible order and structure, this is a chapter of incredible beauty. We see on each of these days of creation, as God uses this week to help us understand his mind and his heart and his pattern, we also see incredible vivid pictures of God creating and separating waters, and the world bringing out plants of various kinds into the world, and we see incredible beauty. And even in this chapter, on verse 27, we see God use poetry to describe his creation. And so this entire structure in this one chapter reveals to us so much about the nature of God. And so we can take the content and the construction and piece those things together to learn incredible things about who God is. Because he doesn't simply want us to know that he created, but how he created. To see the care and the wonder and the awesomeness of his creative act. And he does so not only in what he says, but how he says it. And so this morning, we're going to look at the words and the structure of Genesis chapter 1. And just like we have over the past several weeks, we're going to draw out some characteristics of God to see what kind of God he is as he makes his introduction here at the very beginning of Scripture. And hopefully, learn to see him as he truly is. So that we can worship him as we were designed to worship him. And so this morning we are going to look at God as a God of beauty, a God of order, and a God who makes good things. And so read along with me. This is going to be a big chunk of scripture for the next two weeks, but we're going to get into it. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters were gathered together. He called the seas, and it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to their own kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which their seed according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and every bird in the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. May God add his blessing and favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. (laughs) Father God, I thank you for the uniqueness and the beauty of your word. I thank you that you teach us not only in what you say, but in how you say it. And so as we look through this passage of scripture, help us to see how amazingly creative and wonderful you are, but also how intelligent, wise, and thoughtful you are. And help us to leave this place knowing today that you create good things. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So first, this passage reveals to us that God is a God of beauty. If you were here over the past couple weeks, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And we saw that in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was dark, and it was formless, and it was empty. And then God turns on the lights. In verse 3, it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Here we have a picture of the artist entering his studio and turning on the lights to reveal this blank canvas with which he is about to do incredible things. The God of the universe is coming into the darkness of our world and pushing back that darkness with light. And then God begins to part the waters, to bring form to the formless. And on what Genesis 1 calls day 2 and day 3 of creation, God starts to take that world that was once dark and now filled with light, and now he's looking at the formless nature of it and bringing about form and order. And so he speaks and he separates the waters from the waters, and he pulls the sky from the sea, and then he draws back the waters and has dry land come up, from the midst of the water and we see this incredibly beautiful thing taking place even just using words like an expanse that God uses to separate the waters from the sky and the fact that God pulls out not only dry land but he calls that dry land to bring forth vegetation of all different kinds. And these colors start to sprout up from the earth and we start to see beauty take place. And God is taking that formless, chaotic void and making it something beautiful and wonderful. He didn't just create a space for us. He didn't just make something that was utilitarian in nature, something that was just designed for work. God created something that was beautiful. He sculpted for all of his creation a beautiful sanctuary that they could reside in and they could dwell in. Genesis 1 reveals the world as a lump of clay in the hands of a master potter, shaping it into something awesome shaping it into something wonderful as we've seen as we looked at the creative nature of God creating these colors and putting them exactly where they should go so not only would we have a place that is safe and perfectly formed for us but one that we could walk outside and go this is awesome and to see the beauty of everything that God creates and I love and we're going to talk about this in depth in just a few minutes but that he invites creation to be a part of that process. He says, let the earth bring forth these plants of various kinds and let them have with them these seeds that are after their own kind so that they can make more. And so God is calling all of creation to join in on this process of beautifying the world that he has created. And so it is incredibly important for us because God uses this beautiful chapter of Scripture with all of its descriptions, with all of its flourishes, with even a poem dropped right in the middle of it as God creates humanity. Genesis is inviting us, no, it's demanding of us, that we see God's creation as beautiful, that we recognize the beauty in all that God has done, even in the natural processes of seeing a flower grow from the ground of seeing the seasons change, sometimes four times in a week like we have this week. We should see some of the beauty in that, even as God's good creation seemingly tries to kill us all from the inside out. We should see the beauty in the sky. We should see the beauty in the waters as we walk through them and recognize that God has done all of this to show that he is not just some stoic creature out in the distance creating and leaving, but he is a God who takes great pride in his work and has done this incredibly beautiful thing for his glory but also for our enjoyment and to see all of these things as reverberations of creation and worship God because of them. When we worship God on Sunday mornings, when we worship God in our day-to-day lives, we are worshiping a passionate and wonderful creator, and so we should worship him passionately and wonderfully because he's a God of beauty. But also, because we've talked a lot about God's creativity, one of the other things that we see in this passage is that he is a God of order. And just the structure of Genesis chapter 1 should help us to understand that because it has this framework of a week. There's day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6, and day 7. But the way that this week works is a little different than our week. And so when we think about dates on a calendar, I have a planner that I love. My wife got it first. She fell in love with it. She showed it to me. I got it. I fell in love with it. It's a Paquito planner, if you're wearing P-O-K-E-T-O. This is the second week in a row where I believe that I have endorsed an office product from the stage, and that's strange and I'm sorry, but it really is a great planner because it's got all this space and you can do all these things with it. But like any other calendar or planner, everything is very linear. You have the year to date, the month at a date, and the week at a, at a glance, but all of them have these boxes that go one after the other. And so we see our world, we see our timeline, we see our weeks very linearly. You have Monday, Tuesday, Oh, wow, that didn't come out at all. I'd been waiting to sing the Happy Days song all week, and then I finally had a chance to, and my cold prevented me. And now I'm not going to try it again because that it was terrible. And most of you didn't even notice it, but it barely came out, and it was awkward. It was like being in seventh grade all over again. So I'm going to spare you from it. And let's be honest, only about 40% of us would understand that joke anyway, and so it was probably a miss. So let me go back to Monday, Tuesday, no song here, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then the The whole week starts back over. Everything is very linear. And so when we look at Genesis chapter 1, that's how we picture it. There's day 1, there's day 2, there's day 3, there's day 4, there's day 5, day 6, and day 7. But that's not really the way that this passage is designed to be seen. In fact, the days of Genesis are designed to be seen as two separate columns. And so in column 1, you have day 1, day 2, day 3. In column 2, you have day 4, day 5, and day 6. And they're designed to be parallels of each other. So if you think about what's being created in which section, on day one, God creates light and dark, right? On day four, what does God create? Anybody else want to jump in and and call this out? You can say it loud. The sun, the the moon, and the stars, right? On day two, I'm not going to make you do this through the entire thing because I could take a long time. On day two, God creates the sky and the sea. On day five... God creates the birds and the fish. And just in case you'd like a biology lesson today, birds go in the sky and fish go in the sea. On day three, God brings forth the dry land and all the trees. On day six, it's parallel, God brings forth all of the animals that live on the dry land. And so we have this amazing parallel structure that happens in Genesis chapter 1. And it might just seem like some neat trivia, and now you get a little window into ancient Near Eastern literature. But it also teaches us something about God. We see here that God isn't careless, just making this up as he goes along. That God is not someone who just throws everything against the wall to see what sticks based on cause and effect and random chance. But God has a plan and a purpose and a design for everything that he does. And not only do we see that in the words that are spoken in Genesis chapter one, but even the fact that this chapter of scripture is so carefully and meticulously organized and pieced together helps us to understand that God is not a God of chaos, but of order. He's not a God of chance, but a God of planning and reason and design. And so when we think about God being a God of order, we see some of the things that God does here. First, God gives function to form. So that's where our two categories, our two columns come in here. Days one through three, we can call it the the catalog or the column of forming. That God takes the formless world and he starts to shape it on day one. He forms the light and the dark. He forms the sea and the sky. He forms the dry ground and separates it from the waters. And so what used to be formless now has form. On the second column, days four through six, and if you're wondering about day seven, We'll get to it. It kind of comes at the bottom. It's a very unique day in life of Scripture and the life of creation. But the second column, day four through six, is all about God filling what he formed. He takes the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he puts them in their place, governing the light and the dark. He takes the birds and puts them in the sky. He takes the creatures of the sea and puts them where they go. The same thing again with the land animals sitting on the dry ground. And God fills all the things that he's formed and carefully put together. And he gives it function. John Walton talks about how the ancient Near Eastern world worked. And when they would think about the creation of the universe, they often didn't think about it the way that we do. We're very concerned with material origins. Where did the stuff come from? How did the stuff get here? The ancient people were much more concerned with why. Why is this stuff here, and what does it do? What is the function of all the things that were made? And so Genesis 1 is answering that question. We see God filling the void and showing us that he has a purpose and a design and a plan for everything that he has made. And not only do these things have physical and material functions, but if we look at the big picture of Scripture, we even see that God designed in this way to show us the spiritual function of how things work. Think about the metaphors and the symbols that are used throughout Scripture. When we talk about sin, we talk about it as being in darkness. And as we've been confessing in our confession of faith every week, Jesus came to bring light into a dark world and came to say, let there be light and push that darkness away. We see the importance of water all throughout Scripture as God separates the Red Sea and the Jordan River and allows his people to pass from captivity into new life. We see that echoed again in the New Testament as God calls anyone who trusts in him for salvation to go through the waters of baptism and he brings new life out of the waters just like he did in creation. We see God taking something that is empty and dark inside of us And fill it with purpose and meaning. And so Genesis 1 shows us that everything that God has formed has meaning and has purpose. The sky was made to hold the birds. The sea was made to hold the fish. Everything that God does, everything that God created, he formed it and filled it with life and gave it meaning, gave it purpose, and made it functional. And so we can rest assured that God does nothing without meaning. That God does nothing without purpose. If he put this much design into one chapter of scripture, this much purpose and function into words on a page, imagine how much more he gives to those of us that he created in his own image. But We'll talk about that next week. We also see that God delegates. Not only does he give function to form, but God delegates, which is crazy to think about because I have trouble delegating, and I'm not good at many things. Most of us have trouble delegating and trusting other people with things that we know have to get done. And yet here's the God of the universe who can do all things, who has no limits. We've already talked about him having awe-inspiring, unlimited power to create everything out of nothing. And yet this God decides to share his work with his creation. Meredith Klein, who was a a great theologian and scholar of the Old Testament, talks about those two columns in Genesis 1, and he divides them this way. He says that God creates kingdoms on days 1 through 3, and that he creates creature kings on days 4 through 6. That it's the role and the responsibility of everything created on those second half days to rule over the things that God had already created. God had created light, and so he puts the sun, the moon, and the stars to guide the seasons and the days, and he says, it's your responsibility to hold this great power and govern this force that I've created. The same thing with the birds and the sky and the fish and the sea, and then he comes and he gives ultimate responsibility and delegation when he creates humanity, and he says, you are going to be my vice regents. You are going to be my managers, my stewards, my caretakers of everything that I've created everything on the earth and below the earth and above the earth, I am giving it all to you so that you can rule over these things. And that is unbelievable that God would do that, that God would entrust his creation to his creation. And so anytime that we feel like we don't matter, that we don't have purpose, or that we don't have reasons inside this world and inside God's creation, Genesis 1 demands us to change that thought. Because God shares this incredible responsibility. And then for those of us living here and now, following after Jesus, we have the most important delegation that's ever been given because he has entrusted us with the kingdom of God and with continuing the work that Jesus started 2,000 years ago. And so not only do we have function and form, but we have a responsibility to use what God has given us for his glory and to continue doing the work that he started in Genesis chapter 1, because God delegates. And then we see that God does nothing by chance. When we talk about God as a God of order, nothing that he does is by chance or by accident. A few weeks ago, we saw that Genesis 1 begins with a confrontation, saying, in the beginning, God. And there's really only two ways to go from there, either yes or no, either I believe or I don't. And so Genesis puts us in direct conflict in the midst of two worldviews. Either there is a universe that is impersonal and blind, that's created by a series of cause and effect reactions, random chance and circumstances that have led us to where we are now, or there is a God who is all-intelligent and eternal and has existed for all time and beyond, who has a plan, a purpose, and a design. Genesis says now it's time To make your choice. Genesis 1, in both content and form, declares that this universe is not an accident. That this world in which we live is not chance. It's not random, but it was designed and guided by the hand of God using his creative imagination and the forces of nature that he put into place. He brought this universe in place to existence. And he does nothing by chance, but he has a purpose and a plan and a process for everything that he does. We've seen passages of scripture over the last few weeks that remind us that in the beginning is only the beginning for us. That God has existed for eternity past, and that he had a plan before the foundation of the world, how he was going to create us, he knew that we were going to fall, that we were going to sin, he knew how he was going to save us, he had an exact moment in history when he was going to send his son into the world to bring in salvation, and Paul even goes further saying, not only that, not only did he know us and love us, but that for those who follow Christ, he designed good works for us to walk in before he designed the ground, before. He He laid the ground for us to walk on. And so he has had a plan and a purpose and a design since long before this world was created. And this is a call to trust in God. Think about the original audience of this text. They're getting this love letter from a God they didn't know very well. The people of Israel had been in captivity for 400 years. And before that, there were only a few generations of people that were actively serving and loving this God. And so Moses came in and he's telling them about this God that they were not very familiar with. And so now he's revealing all of these things and he's asking them to trust him. To lead them out into the wilderness and to lead them through a wilderness, to take them to a land that was not their own. That if you were with us when we studied the book of Genesis several years, or excuse me, Joshua several years ago, a lot of the people, when they saw this promised land, it did not look very promising for them. But God is saying, listen, I don't do anything by accident. I don't do anything by random circumstances. You can trust in me because I have a plan that is far older than you, far older than humanity, far older than this world. I don't do anything haphazardly. I don't do anything without thinking it through. I don't do anything without a plan. And so you can trust me with the seasons of your life, even the ones that don't make sense because I am not a God of random chaos, but a God of order. So he's a God of beauty and a God of order, putting those things together. And when we add those two things up, we find that he is a God who makes good things. Scripture tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God and creation is no exception. And when we look at the character and the nature of God on display through all of scripture, we see that he is a good God in the truest sense of that word. And because he is a good God, he can only create good things. And every day, as God goes through this week of creation, he looks at what he made and he grades it. Every day he says, this is what I made and it was good. Well, every day except one. There was a great 20th century prophet who spoke these words that are relevant and relatable when he said, I hate Mondays. The prophet was Garfield, in case you were missing it. My date, my my references are a little old today. I'm starting to reveal some age. And so I'm sorry. So just in case you missed that window, Garfield said that. And we started to think, maybe God also hated Mondays. Because if you look through this passage of scripture, you'll find on day one, God looked at what he made and said it was good. On day three, same thing. Day four, same thing. Day five, same thing. Day six, same thing. God looked at everything that he made and said it was good, but somehow missed day two, which we could believe that maybe There is something inherently wrong with Mondays, but that's not really what happened. Really, it looks like God just looked at the fullness of his forming when he created on day two and day three, shaping the entire world and lumped all of that in together with the wholeness of the world being formed and filled and said that it was good. Every single time that God created something and made something, he not only made it to be good, but then he went back and he checked his work. And he looked at all that he had made and he gives it the stamp of approval saying it was good until finally on day six, God created us and he looked at all that he had made, the totality of what he made, and he said that it is very good. Looked over by its creator and sealed with a declaration that he made it the way that he wanted it to be made and it was good. You see, Genesis 1 in both its words and its structure, teaches us a theology and a worldview, a way to see God and a way to see the world and everything in it. We learn that God is good and he is a good creator and that he creates good things. And because he created the world, we start to understand that matter matters all that we've learned about God, even just now that we're just a few verses in to this incredible passage of scripture, help us to understand that he is good and passionate, creative, a God of order and a God of beauty. And all of these things are wonderfully designed by him. But so often we fall into this unfortunate category of thinking that all of this material stuff in the world just doesn't matter. In the earliest forms of the church, there were a group of people coming in, trying to infiltrate the church, trying to teach these false things, and they called themselves the Gnostics. And the Gnostics believed that they had encountered a deeper level of knowledge, a secret wisdom that gave them a better kind of salvation. And they started to believe and they started to teach because they were so engrossed in in Greek Greek theology and philosophy, they started to believe that everything material was bad and only what was knowledgeable and spiritual was good. And that thought process, even though there aren't many people that would walk around calling themselves Gnostics today, that thought process has entered into our minds. Even when we think about the end game of all this, because so long in, in American Christianity and theology, we have this belief that one day Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to snatch everybody away from the world, and he's going to take all the Christians up to heaven, and we're going to live as some sort of weird chair of angel babies for the rest of eternity, and then he's going to destroy the world, and everything material is going to be gone, and we are going to be spiritually with God forever. But that's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, Revelation 21 and 22 is an echo of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, as God brings the fullness of his plan back together, and Jesus doesn't steal us away to heaven, but he brings heaven to earth and puts those things back together because God doesn't create things simply to be thrown away, and the world is part of that. And we're going to look next week at, Revel, at, excuse me, at Romans chapter 8 when Paul talks about God's big plan to not only save his people, but to redeem and to restore the world totally and completely. That we have the promise that just like Jesus experienced not just a spiritual resurrection, but a physical resurrection from the grave, we have that promise as well. That God not only redeems us spiritually, but he will one day redeem us physically and all of this world with it. And so if Genesis 1 teaches us all these things about God and about his world, clearly it demands something of us. Clearly it's going to change not only how we think, but how we live, how we act, how we speak, everything about who we are has to change because of what Genesis chapter 1 teaches us about God and his good creation. And that's what we're going to look at next week as we learn to respond to the God who makes good things. Let's pray.